Welcome to the Spectrum of Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Menelicino. It will probably be a shock for you to learn that heart disease remains the number one killer of women, outpacing breast cancer, diabetes, and stroke combined, with one out of every four women receiving a diagnosis of heart disease in her lifetime, and the problem is only getting worse. Dr. Mark Menelicino has been on the front lines of cardiac research for most of his life, running a highly successful clinic where he takes a holistic, personalized approach to reversing disease and jump-starting health. Most of his patients are women struggling with symptoms and illnesses that stem from the most important life-giving organ in the body, the heart. Today, we'll be talking about why women's hearts are breaking, literally, and offer you some great bonuses to celebrate Dr. Mark's upcoming book, Heart Solution for Women, a proven program to prevent and reverse heart disease. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Dr. Mark. Welcome, Dr. Mark. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Dr. Christine. I'm very fortunate to be here. Yeah, well, we want to dive in. You have a new book um, called Heart Solution for Women, a proven program to prevent and reverse heart disease. I think this is such an important topic. And with your functional medicine approach, I think we're really going to uncover some really root causes that are probably not talked about enough when we look at heart health. Um, But like any book for any clinician, I know this is a culmination of your life's work. Um, What inspired you to write this book? Well, Christine, we just got it wrong. In medicine, we just thought men and women were the same, that their heart disease was the same, the risks were the same, they presented the same way, and they should be treated the same way. And that's just not true. Women present differently, they should be addressed and diagnosed differently, and they should be treated differently. So this whole idea about heart health for women, we've missed it. And uh, as doctors, it's something I feel like we can do such a better job in so many parts of medicine, especially women's health, and then particularly in women's heart health. I was fortunate when I was a senior in high school to work with Dean Ornish and see that lifestyle medicine beat traditional medicine. He had 100 men, of course, because all studies have been done on men, that had heart attacks and the vessels to their heart were blocked. They were going to crack open the chest, do a cardiac bypass using uh, blood vessels from the leg to bypass the veins in the heart. And he said there's a better way. He taught them how to eat right, how to exercise, how to cope with stress, how to have love and social support in their life. And guess what? 35 years later, his group has done better. So I saw way back then that lifestyle medicine has so much power, but I want to know other medicine too. So I did internal medicine training, which is the most rigorous of the medical training, but along the way got all of the other things they don't teach doctors in med school, nutrition, naturopathics, Chinese medicine, homeopathy, all of the different disciplines that when we all bring them together, they let us look at the body, particularly a female system a little bit differently and a little bit more personally. Mm-hmm. Now, that's wonderful that you had such an early exposure to lifestyle medicine. I know uh, Dr. Ornish was ahead of his time and um, what a good imprint on your uh, medical training. Um, what has tipped you off in clinical practice that you really needed to pr- approach heart um, health and cardiovascular health differently between men and women? Well, first, I think cardiovascular health has to be treated and looked at differently, period. The way we're assessing it, we're using four blood tests, the total cholesterol, the good, the bad, and the triglycerides. It's woefully inadequate for anyone, particularly for women, because their good cholesterol tends to be a little bit better. Um, And so they get these ratios made that are predictive values. And we lump everybody into this bell-shaped curve of prediction rather than personalize it to them. So 
I think all of women's health needs to be really refined and personalized, but the heart issue particularly. And just in general, we're not doing heart health very well. It's still the number one killer of all people, the number one killer of women beyond breast cancer, diabetes, stroke combined, and we're just missing it. And if we do this right, women should not get heart attacks. They are completely preventable. The problem is that two of your three friends will die of heart disease. The first warning sign in half of them will be sudden death. You don't get a second shot. You don't get this warning that, hey, maybe something's wrong. I should do something about it. You have a sudden death heart attack in half the people that have heart disease. It's that bad. So this is something that's preventable. It's uh, the leading killer of women. And it also is something that we can help each other and do something about. And what we're taught in med school and what I was taught 25 years ago and what we're teaching today is the same thing. The diagnosis is wrong. It's not deep enough. It's not personalized enough. Then the therapy for the cholesterol problem using cholesterol drugs, they don't work very well for most people, and they particularly don't work well for many women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's such a daunting statistic, and I think um, you know when you probably survey women, they probably are more afraid of cancer or Alzheimer's and don't really realize um, that they're probably more at risk for cardiovascular um, disease or, you know, a heart attack. So I I think that's a really important point. And I, the, the empowering thing about all of this, as you mentioned, that this is really preventable if we have the right information. And so, um, we have so much that we can talk about here, but I would love to hear what are your, um, recommendations. And I know you really go, um, deeper in your book, but as far as diagnostics, so when we look at how to really, uh, prevent, heart attack, what are you looking for for women? Well, the the first step is to do the right blood test. And Christine, I know you look at the whole person in your functional medicine model. It's a whole person systems approach. And that's really what we need to do. We really know that everything is related so that when we address a woman's heart disease risk, we're also addressing her diabetes risk, her stroke risk, her cancer risk, and her Alzheimer's dementia risk. They all have the same types of inflammatory underpinnings that can lead to these outward diseases. So the beautiful thing about it is that we're addressing the heart risk. We're really addressing the risk for all of those other diseases. The first step is to get the right blood test. And the the annual kind of health fair testing of the traditional cholesterol, the good HDL, the bad LDL, it's just woefully inadequate to look at a personal risk. There's a test that takes those cholesterol particles and breaks them down into what I like to call the small sticky ones and the big bouncy ones. Mm -hmm. The small sticky ones are the really dangerous ones. There's one called lipoprotein A Mm -hmm. that I encourage every woman to get checked because that's that's the particle that you'll have friends that eat right, go to yoga every day, they're marathon runners, they they have no body fat on them, and they drop dead of a heart attack. And everybody says, why? Well, a lot of times it's this bad particle, this lipoprotein A. So there's sticky, small particles you need to identify. Then at the end of the day, most disease in our world, most chronic disease for especially, is inflammation. And there's new inflammatory markers of the heart that you can see if the fire's burning. And if the fire's burning, then we know where to put it out. So this, this advanced testing, it's not incredibly expensive. It's a little bit more expensive than your health fair type testing. But it's something that can give you an insight right away. And again, the lipoprotein A is something every woman should get checked tomorrow. And if it's high, it should be addressed. Then looking at the inflammatory markers of the heart, there's ones that are specific to actually the lining of the blood vessels of the heart. You know, I thought in medical school that 
your heart artery was like a pipe and that it was a plumbing problem, that the pipe just filled up with cholesterol plaque. There was one little space. You had a double hamburger and it, and it filled it up and knocked you off. That's not what happens. You could have a small plaque or a large one, but if it's inflamed, then it ruptures. It's kind of like a zit popping. And that <laughs> popping causes this whole cascade of events that then leads to the blockage of the artery. So it's not your total cholesterol that's the problem. It's not even your bad or good one. It's these small particles, these small sticky ones, then how hot or inflamed they are and how likely they are to rupture. And if I may continue, the, the three things, Christine, that every woman should know, here's how you prevent a heart attack in yourself, your family, and your friends. You get the right blood test, and no one's getting it. And mm -hmm. it's out there. We've been doing it for 15 years. And it's called this advanced fractionated cholesterol with the inflammatory markers. Look at the small particles. Look at the inflammation. The second thing is a stress test. I saw so many people in my residency that had a stress test one day, then had a heart attack during surgery the next week. I had an uncle that died of a heart attack two days after a normal stress test. Mm -hmm. So we can't trust just the stress test. For women, there's a test called a stress echocardiogram where you get on the treadmill or you ride a bike and you do your stress test, but at the end they use an ultrasound probe to look to see how well the walls of the heart are moving. Are they getting enough blood flow for you to ski as hard as you want or to bike as hard as you want or to go on a marathon run? So that's the stress test. So it's three parts, the right blood test, the right kind of stress test. And all I'd ask your listeners to remember is that, you know, Dr. Mark said just a regular stress test probably isn't good enough. I need to add this other thing. Mm -hmm. For women, it's the ultrasound because there's no radiation. For men, it's actually a, a nuclear scan. Uh, there are different sensitivities for tests. Mm -hmm. Then the third thing is this new technology evolving. It's called a CIMT. And that stands for carotid intima media thickness test. It's an ultrasound, again, no radiation. It's an ultrasound of the artery of the neck that looks at the small millimeter in width um, lining of the blood vessel of the neck. And based on that blood vessel lining, you can predict the age of the artery. The arteries of the neck predict the, age, the arteries of the heart. So these are non-invasive ways to tell who's the canary in the coal mine, who's the person at risk. And your, your family history doesn't really tell you that. Your cholesterol total doesn't really tell you that. It's these other particles, these inflammation markers, then the CIMT test. And then if you think you really are at risk, then you do a stress test. But so many people do a regular stress test. They pass it and think, oh, I'm totally safe. And then they have a heart attack a week later. No one understands that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really trying to do this trifecta of early warning. Mm -hmm. What age would you recommend that women start getting uh, this workup? You know, I think you look at your, your particles and your inflammatory numbers early in your 30s mm -hmm. because if the fire's burning, you want to put it out before all the damage is done. I think in the early 40s is a great time to do a baseline assessment of these advanced tests with the, with the blood tests as well as look at this carotid thickness. And if it's low, it's predictive you won't have a risk. If it's high, it's predictive you better do something about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's great. Um, give yourself time before really um, you're in worse shape, right? If you start looking at these later in life, um, you miss a window of prevention. Um, so no, I think that's really great advice. And um, I'm really happy you brought up a few things. Um, why don't, I mean, I know that you have your 
you've already shared a little bit about cholesterol and how we have to look at it um, between the types of cholesterol, um, not just looking at HDL and LDL. I still think there is um, this cholesterol myth, if you will, about cholesterol being the problem. And I still get um, a lot of questions. Oh, um, you know, if I eat eggs or, um, you know, oh, I need to go on a statin, my cholesterol is 220. Or can you just give some more information around that? Because I think I really want to empower our listeners to give the their doctors the right information if they're starting to get uh, pressured into um, cholesterol-lowering medication um, really for the wrong reasons. Well, that's a great question. And some people are surprised that I actually do prescribe the medicines because mm-hmm. there are a select group of people that benefit. Mm-hmm. But that group is very narrow and they tend not to be women. Mm-hmm. So men with heart attacks that have known heart disease they do benefit from the statin cholesterol drugs. The data is pretty clear about that. Mm-hmm. We try to use the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time to do the most benefit. Mm-hmm. But the data for women is not very clear at all. The most recent studies show that um, they don't work in menopausal or postmenopausal women at all. And there's a risk up to 60% of causing diabetes just mm. from taking the drug. Mm. So we know that drugs cause diabetes in everyone, up to 9% in all men and women but it may be as high as 60% in menopausal and postmenopausal women without giving them a benefit. The other studies that show um, that women, particularly after age 65, the lower your cholesterol is, the higher your dementia is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I hate to tell all your listeners, but we're all fat heads. <laughs> we need that fat for our nervous system, for our brain. Mm-hmm. So this, this magic cutoff of 200 for your ideal cholesterol is really an arbitrary line. And there are people that do need cholesterol drugs. There are very few of them, much less than we're already prescribing to. And for the women, particularly menopausal, postmenopausal, they may just plain be a bad idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, thank you for going over that. And I, I still feel I have a very educated patient population, but they still, there's still so much misinformation around uh, cholesterol. And, um, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up that point. Uh, Dr. Klinghart, my mentor, he had a German mentor who said, when cholesterol goes, life goes. So, I mean, we need to understand cholesterol is also this really important building block for our, um, our brains and our nervous system and our hormones and all of that. Um, so Mark, I have so many questions. This is such great information. (laughs) Um, let's go back to lipoprotein little a, I see a lot of increased lipoprotein little a in uh, my patients. And so, um, can you tell us a little bit about the risk factors? Is this a genetic propensity or are there environmental triggers that increase lipoprotein little a, and then, um, what are some strategies that you have found, um, be helpful for, um, lowering lipoprotein little a? Great questions. And, and Christine, the way the way I'm a visual person, so things are always easier for me to think of in pictures. Mm-hmm. And if you picture your total cholesterol as a big beach ball, mm-hmm. inside of that big beach ball, you're going to have basketballs or marbles. The basketballs are protective. They don't plug up the little holes, whereas the little marbles will plug up the holes. So think of little, and that's your HDL or high density, good cholesterol or the big basketballs. And the little marbles are your low density, your LDL cholesterol. And the LDL is the bad one. That's the one that we all are trying to treat. But in that LDL, there's even submarbles, the small sticky ones, which are dangerous, and the big bouncy ones, which are okay. Now, lipoprotein A is that small sticky LDL bad marble with the nasty inflammatory tail on it. Mm-hmm. That's how I visualize, and that's how it looks like under the electron microscope. It's a little ball with a little curly Q protein tail on it. 
So it's a little sticky marble with a nasty inflammatory tail wagging off of it. And that thing likes to cause plaque to be more irritable or this zit to rupture to cause more likelihood of heart death. And it's actually not just related to heart attacks, but related to sudden death heart attacks. It is a hereditary marker. Now, so much was made in my training of family history that if your mom had a heart attack and your mom had diabetes, then you're going to have diabetes and have a heart attack. This whole concept that you talk about in your clinic of epigenetics that you can turn on and can turn off genes based on your information you give them. That's why you want to eat clean because the clean food turns on good genes and turns off bad genes. That's where toxicity comes in. Exposing yourself to a toxic environment turns on bad genes and turns off good ones. So this lipoprotein A is hereditary. It's the one of, one of the few things in the cholesterol story that has a hereditary factor to it. And it can be a difficult thing to move. So there's not a diet that fixes it. And in general, I don't believe in diets because the first three letters are die. <laughs> uh, I believe in personal nutrition. What should you eat? And take some time to figure that out, not follow the latest fad diet. Mm -hmm. But some nutritional mar factors can help that. The omegas do seem to make a little bit of a difference. Um, there are some supplements like natokinase, lumbrokinase. Some people use niacin. Mm -hmm. But that's something, number one, see if you have it. Mm -hmm. And then if you have it, find someone who knows how to fix it. And a lot of times some of these natural supplements can be the start. It's not an exercise fix and it's not really a nutrition fix. But you can, you know, just because you have a number on your test, it doesn't mean that number is going to manifest. Mm -hmm. So it's the environment that that plays in. If you're in a very hot, inflamed fire environment of the heart, that lipoprotein A is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. If everything else is calmed down, that one may not have the power that it does in the other person. So it's it's this whole system approach. That's why everything you do helps. A little bit of exercise, a little bit of social support, preferably go walk, but do it with your best friend or a mm -hmm. family member, or your child or your dog. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of these things are synergistic. One plus one doesn't equal two, it equals 10. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of the kind of lifestyle medicine we both practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you for that. I just, I think that's a really important marker that people should be aware of. And I'm glad um, you make such an, a point about that. And um, again, you know, seeing that in the context of everything, if that's the only marker that's elevated in the context of all of these other factors, your risk is obviously lower. But if it's, you know, it, it, what I'm just trying to say, it's, as you said, we, we shouldn't just treat the number, which um, I think in medicine, we can, we can sometimes um, go towards. But um, I, I have this other, you know, um, question um, mark around um, cardiovascular health. And I know you probably have lots of different ideas around uh, blood pressure. Um, so what is your approach to blood pressure? And what are some of the, um, you know, m ways to identify risk for high blood pressure, and also ways that you um, like to treat blood pressure? Well, you know, this is another one of those um, urban myths of medicine <laughs> is blood pressure. I think uh, I'm not really quite sure. I was just talking to one of my friends who works in India. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, one of his family members worked with uh, Mahatma Gandhi, whose blood pressure was 220 over 140. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody thought it would be low. Right. And there's other people who have blood pressures of 90 over 60. So what's right? The, the 120 over 80, and now we're talking about 130 over 90 as the cutoff to start treating. You know, if you're a 90-pound woman versus a 285-pound linebacker man, should you have the same blood pressure? And I would hypothesize probably not. So I think it's got to be looked at personally. 
I think these numbers have been arbitrarily cut off based on population studies. And so I, I think I like to look at end organ damage. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you have high blood pressure that's causing problems? And one of the tricks we do in my office, it's not really a trick, but it's, you know, there's so many things that the natural doctors learned a hundred years ago mm-hmm. that we developed tests for and forgot to do. So I call it the, the functional physical exam. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the nails. Let's look at the skin. Let's look at the eyes. Let's look for that ear crease in the ear, the 45 degree ear crease angle, which has been linked to heart disease in both men and women. Let's look at the fingernails. Are they healthy? Are they have ridges and lines and pits or white spots, things that indicate nutritional deficiencies? But you actually have a window inside the body through your eye. Just like when your eye doctor dilates your eye and looks at the back of your eye, that's called your retina. Mm -hmm. And in the retina, you can actually see the smallest blood vessels where the veins and arteries come together called your capillaries. Mm -hmm. And if you're collecting cholesterol in those small capillaries of the eye, you are collecting it in your heart. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first places I look. And if your blood pressure is too high, then the arteries lay on top of each other and cause a nick. You know, um, it's great, Christine, we're talking about blood pressure. When when I tell someone your blood pressure is 120 over 80, what does that mean to them? How do they, mm-hmm. it's just a number, right? Mm-hmm. So what I tell them is, this is what it means. That 120, when you go to water a tree in your yard and you're holding the water on the tree and you crimp the hose and take it to the next tree and uncrimp it and the water comes flying out, mm-hmm. that's the 120 number. That's how much pressure your heart generates to move blood around your body. Mm-hmm. And when it's high, it can cause eye damage, it can cause stroke, and it can cause heart attack. Then when the water's just sitting there watering the tree, that's what the 80 is. That's your resting pressure of the system. When that's high, it can cause kidney damage. That's why we're worried about blood pressure problems, and that's what those two numbers mean. So for some people, 100 is too low and 160 is perfect. So I, I, I think these arbitrary numbers don't really apply to each individual, and I like to personalize it. Yes, I look at the guidelines, but two people that have markedly different body types may not need to have the same blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And then I look at, is there signs that the body is having some problems? You can also look at a urinalysis or an assessment of the um, urine mm-hmm. in a traditional lab test. And something I encourage every woman to do at each annual visit is to ask her doctor to check it because it gives you a bladder and kidney screen. But if there's protein in your urine, it tells you your blood pressure is too high. So there's other things beyond the number that we can assess uh, that are very inexpensive, very easy to do, and to see if we really need to be worrying about blood pressure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think um, you have a really great approach um, to this. And, um, you know, I, I feel, um, you know, maybe this sounds like a non sequitur, but I, I've also seen a lot of functional medicine doctors look at blood pressure and look at kidney health and also tie that into um, how the environment impacts um, you know, the body, especially um, heavy metals. Do you have any opinions about how heavy metal toxicity or environmental toxicity ties into um, blood pressure, but overall, overall cardiovascular health? Well, you know, I think we're all a summation of our mentors and the, the wise people whose shoulders we stand on. I know you're working with Dr. Klinghart, who, you know, what a great mentor for you to have. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark Houston is one of the leaders in uh, functional approaches to cardiovascular disease. And I heard him lecture 20 years ago about arsenic and mercury and mm-hmm. blood pressure mm-hmm. as well as lead. And there are clear-cut correlations one-to-one of your blood levels of these toxins and your blood pressure. So, you know, we talk about blood pressure problem in the United States, really worldwide. 
as being essential hypertension, mm-hmm. which I've always thought is kind of funny. It's like essentially your blood pressure is <laughs> high and we don't know why. Right. And a lot of those people, their blood pressure may be high because of toxicity. And we see when the body gets clean, the blood pressure does come down. So that's one of the first things. Address the gut health, help the liver health, allow the body to detoxify, look for those metals, try to get them out of the body. And once we see that, we do see blood pressures coming down. So mm-hmm. I think there's a one-to-one correlation of heavy metals and blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I'm familiar with Dr. Houston's work and I, you know, he was another pioneer, you know, in all of this. Um, how about, um, Mark hormones? So I know a lot of, um, women, um, you know, have concerns about their hormonal health and what is your opinion on how uh, hormones tie into cardiovascular health? We know hormones are good or bad, depending on which newspaper you read today. Right. It's and, very confusing. Um, and, I, and I really empathize with the women listening because it's been hard to sort out. The first thing is to be very clear that synthetic hormones are not the same as bioidentical hormones. So the estrogen that we purified from pregnant horses and gave women was a mistake. Mm-hmm. The bioidentical estrogen we give may actually be protective. So it does look like there is a protective effect of estrogen pre-menopause in its normal state. There definitely is an increased clot risk, heart attack and stroke risk with synthetic hormones like um, the horse estrogens, like birth control. Mm-hmm. So it's it depends on what kind of hormone we're talking about. In general, women just feel better when their hormones are balanced. It doesn't mean they need to take them, but it means they need to be balanced. And a lot of times by doing detoxification and getting the body cleaner, getting the gut healthier, providing the optimal foods, balancing the body with with natural food, you can actually balance the hormones without having to give them. Mm-hmm. And that'll help a woman not only feel better, but it'll help her heart be healthier and help her brain be healthier. I think a lot of what the heart needs, the brain needs as well. And we're seeing there's a real tie and a correlation of the health of both the heart and the brain together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, point that you don't necessarily need hormone replacement, but it is um, wise to see, you know, what is out of balance in the eye. We do bioidentical hormone replacement. Dr. Rosensweet, I don't know if you know him, he he, he taught um, us his approach, and I like his approach um, for some people that he uses transdermal organic oils. So. Um, it's a, a titration method, so you don't end up um, overdosing anyone. They really find their, um, you know, their dose for them. But uh, the the light bulb that he really, you know, shared with us is that you know you are at risk, right, for cardiovascular disease, dementia, osteoporosis, if your hormones um, are not balanced. So I, I like to share that with women because um, I think there's still a lot of fear, like if you're low in estrogen. Um, and you give estrogen, you're at increased cancer risk, and there's just so much data to um, negate that. So, um, of course, you have to take your family history and your genetics into play as well. Well, you know, you bring up a good point too, Christine, uh, mentioning these experts, is that there are a lot of people that are doing hormone uh, replacement therapy in the U.S., and a lot of people are not doing it very well. So there are people that uh, go to a weekend conference and claim to be experts I was certified 20 years ago in bioidenticals and watching the data. What we're, what we're seeing is that um, women just feel better with them. And my experience is, is that we just don't have heart attacks in our practice because we're looking at all these different markers. And I do think if you can get the body to support the hormone, it makes sense. But give as little as they need for the shortest amount of time mm-hmm. for the most benefit. 
And that's kind of a general rule for everything. The least you need for the shortest time for the most benefit. That's a great way to make a decision on all supplements, vitamins, hormones, or medications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really great approach and something very forgotten in medicine, right? A lot of people think that they have to be on uh, these interventions uh, for life. And, um, you know, if we use um, even pharmaceuticals appropriately, um, it is really these short windows of time um, that uh, give us a leg up while we're correcting the underlying cause. Um, and to that point, too, I feel um, some, you know, functional or not even functional medicine, I should say some, quote, holistic doctors will only treat hormones. And I think, you know, that's obviously helpful for some people. But if you're not looking at all of the things that we're talking about in this podcast, it's such a short sighted approach um, to really preventing um, illness. And I, I think we both probably see that, unfortunately, um, in medicine too often. So, Mark, not to put you on the spot, I know that you, you you mentioned this, and I know that you're going to probably have a very individualized answer um, for people, but um, we can't talk about cardiovascular health without talking about gut health and diet, and so, um, and we shouldn't say diet, but nutrition, right? Um, so, what have you found to be a rewarding approach to nutrition um, for your patients um, in reversing cardiovascular health? Well, you know, the, the clearest data probably is on the Mediterranean diet, mm -hmm. the, the diets that line the Mediterranean Sea. And the problem is every country is a little bit different. And the more I'm doing the work in nutrition, the more I'm wondering, is it really the whole foods, the, the, the fruits, the vegetables, the whole grains, the fish, the lean meats, maybe a little bit of red wine? Is that really what's helping the health? Or is that they're sitting down as a family or with friends and sharing a meal in a social way? I'm not sure what mm -hmm. has more power, the social connection or the food. And I think it's a synergy, the one plus one equals 10. So if you eat the same food by yourself after an angry, long, miserable day at work versus eat it after an enjoyable, rewarding day at work with a family and friends, I don't think they have the same nutritional value at the end of the day. So it's it's interesting. I, I think it's... um. You know, it's really about whole foods. We do food sensitivity testing here, and there's a lot of controversy about it on both sides. Mm -hmm. But at least it opens the window in the discussion towards what's going on in the gut. You know, our gut can be very porous in some people due to what they've been eating or to antibiotics or to medications or illnesses or stress. And that porousness of the gut is this leaky gut thing we talk about, which just is gas on the fire for inflammation in the whole body. So I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised when we work on someone's heart health and their arthritis goes away, their insomnia goes away, their libido comes up, their overall sense of vitality improves, it, their skin clears up. It's It's been so fun to work on nutrition and whatever angle we come into it, we see these other upside effects. So, you know, I think it's really trying to figure out what someone can do. The um, ketogenic, the paleo, the intermittent fasting, these are all interesting and for some people, they come in interested in one of those. And so we start there with them because they've done some homework. It's something they're interested in. Unless there's a direct contraindication, uh, we let them try it. And we support them through that. But at the end of the day, it's really about eating whole food, real food. And in general, most people don't do well with, with the processed foods at all. And then the dairy and the breads tend to be the things that we will minimize a little bit of because they tend to be for most people the inflammatory foods. Soy is another one that's a difficult one because most is GMO soy currently. And soy is really a hormone disruptor for most women. 
So, you know, a little organic edamame is fine, but if you have a soy latte for breakfast, some edamame for lunch, and some tofu for dinner, then maybe going soy is not a great idea for you. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we have a perfect test that tells us what everybody should eat. I think it's coming, though, you know, and, and in general, though, if you just get the processed food out of your diet, eat clean with someone you care about, that's 90% of the battle, I think. I think that's such a great point. I have a dear friend. Um, he's originally from Greece, and we've gone over there um, visiting. And, you know, when you have um, food in this Mediterranean, not only the actual ingredients, but in this way of um, enjoying long meals with great conversations, um, that does something for the spirit and the, the heart that I think um, we can't quantify. And- you know, I grew up in a, an Italian family. We had a brown dinner table Six kids, four of us are doctors, interestingly. All three boys are internists. Oh, wow. And, and dinner time was my favorite time because, you know, my mom would ring the bell and we would come running because mm-hmm. that was our favorite time of the day is to sit as a family and talk about the day, our dreams, our failures, our experiences, our support. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, so many people that don't have that, I feel very fortunate to have had that growing up. And it's something everyone listening, please do that tonight. Mm-hmm. Do that with your family with some friends, find a way to share a meal with people you care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's such a great, uh, great point. My, um, my husband and I just had a, a daughter. We have a four month old and when we talk about it, thank you. We talk about raising her and, you know, food is such a, um, you know, way that, um, we connect with our community and, you know, um, just experience, uh, connection, uh, with each other. And, uh, my husband's name is Dan and he's, we both work a lot, obviously, <laughs> you know, with, um, this work. And, um, we really want to make it a point that we have dinner, uh, time with her, you know, no matter what is going on. So I think it's a really, it, it's, it's these small things that are actually really important lifestyle, um, habits, I think that make a huge difference. So Mark, yeah, no, great information about diet. I'm just curious. I know you mentioned that um, not, you know, I know there's a lot of controversy around food allergy testing, but um, for the listener, what do you think is a great uh, test to at least narrow uh, down some foods that might be causing inflammation? Which test do you use currently? Well, you know, just to be super clear, because a lot of people think these are allergies. They call them food allergy tests. Mm -hmm. And allergies, and this is how I explain it to my clients, Allergies are obvious. Those are your friends that when they ate peanuts, they broke out in hives, had to go to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're talking about. Those are easily identifiable. That's a histamine allergic reaction. We're talking about the sneaky hidden food sensitivities or intolerances that what you eat today causes your problem one to two days later. And they're very difficult. So you can do an elimination diet. There's all types of um, programs on the internet that are free that can guide you through an elimination diet, but they're kind of hard to do. I would say pick one thing, maybe go off bread and see if your bloating doesn't go away, if your belt line doesn't come in a little bit, if you don't have a little more energy or sleep better. Or pick dairy and go off dairy and see if your acne doesn't clear up, your skin's better, your joint pain go away. So those would be two easy things to try on your own. The next is the whole nightshade family, which I've learned from my naturopath friends 20 years ago, the tomatoes, um, peppers, eggplant, uh, potatoes particularly tomatoes, for some people, drive their inflammation, their, their arthritis particularly. So those are things you can just do on your own tomorrow. Just take them out of your nutrition and see if you feel different after two to three weeks. It won't be the next day. It'll be a couple weeks. 
So there are a lot of IgG, which is the sensitivity, versus IgE, which is the allergy. But these IgG food sensitivity testing, there's multiple companies that are out there. There's some marketed on the internet. They're all variable. Um, and I think that my recommendation is to find a provider that has confidence in one, that knows how to interpret it, that can guide you through the results. Don't just buy one on your own and try to sort yourself through it. Because, again, you can get led down a rabbit hole um, with some of these online tests. I think they're coming, but they're not really ready for prime time. And having a guide through this, you know, even if it's a nutritionist or a health coach. And for me, I think, you know, this whole army of people that are helping people make good food choices is exciting. So, you know, find one that's an expert in nutrition and health that has some experience that you connect with and, and have them guide you on the right testing. So I, I think there's a lot of companies out there. There's not one that's best of class right now. But it makes sense to do one with the practitioner that has experience in that test because then you get a wisdom. I've got 25 years of experience doing them. So every time you do one, you don't just get the results, but you get my whole 25 years mm -hmm. because you have to read between the lines sometimes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, that's a lot of great information. And, um, you know, I do think we look at food intolerances, too, and uh, light of gut inflammation. So people have dysbiosis or, you know, an undertreated, um, you know, parasitic infection or fungal infection that can create more inflammation in the gut lining and then also make you more sensitive to food. And so I've seen people's food intolerances improve, um, yeah. you know, once we clean up the gut. And so, um, yeah, and I, I think that you made a lot of great points. Um, but again, I'm sure that you and I both see that it's not only um, the food, but also a lot of our patients are reacting to whether it's genetically modified foods, uh, the herbicide and pesticide exposure, that's just this other element that's creating and triggering more gut inflammation and food reactions as well. You know, it's interesting, Christine, because if, if your listeners get my book, they'll see my food panel in there. We actually oh, cool. put my panel in there. Oh, fun. And I have a severe dairy and egg sensitivity. Now, when I have dairy, I can, like today, I had a small vanilla latte. Mm -hmm. And I can tolerate that. But if I have a lot of cheese later, or I have a yogurt, or I have a second latte, then I won't sleep very well tonight. If I do it a couple days in a row, my irritable bowel comes back. So I kind of have known now that I can have a little bit once in a while and my body can deal with it. But if I have too much, I'm going to pay the price. So it's uh, and it was the food panel that actually taught me that because I couldn't quite figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. So there, there is a lot of value in them. And, and you're right. If you get the system balanced, um, you actually you can make a lot of other things better in your health. Mm -hmm. And I like how you, um, you know, I know that you take really good care of yourself. And so you can probably tolerate your food intolerance, you know, um, not every day, but in a rotation fashion. And so I think that gives people hope because when some people are, you know, very daunting, oh my God, I never can have dairy again. Well, if your system is more balanced and healthy, maybe a little dairy sometimes is okay, right? So, um, you know, I think that's mentally a little bit easier for people to handle. So, Mark, we've covered so many things. What haven't we covered? Is there any, um, you know, thing about your approach and that, you know, what you walk uh, women through in your book that we have not covered? Well, I think it's just stepping back and let's look at this beautiful symphony known as a woman. It's really, there's this little conductor in your brain called the pituitary. She's as big as your pinky nail and controls your whole endocrine system, your entire body. She's the conductor of this beautiful symphony known as your women's health. She talks to your thyroid. The thyroid sister is your adrenal gland that sits on your kidney and controls so much of your energy systems. They interact with your female hormones. 
they're all controlled by the gut. So it's thyroid, adrenal, hormone, gut. If you get all of those parts of the system happy, good things happen in women's health, like reduced diabetes, reduced heart disease, reduced dementia, reduced arthritis, cleaner skin, more energy, deeper sleep. So I like to look at women as this system, as this symphony, and I like to help them to balance their symphony, then put out the fires. And when we do that, really good things happen. Absolutely. I think that's an important, um, you know, beautiful way to look at our health. So I'm sure um, in your your book, you go over some lifestyle and nutrition recommendations. And do you highlight any of your favorite supplements or any um, nutrients that people should be thinking about when, um, when maybe interviewing a doctor or thinking about their own health um, to really uh, support their cardiovascular health plan? Yeah, I do. And the first thing, and I encourage all your listeners to go to their cabinet right now and look at the other ingredients in your supplements. Mm -hmm. I was shocked when I learned that what the most popular vitamin in the U.S., the other, the 46 other ingredients that hold it together, six of them are in the carcinogenic list actually currently. So there's a Mm -hmm. lot of bad supplements out there. They're very low quality. They're cheap. They have a lot of fillers, binders, dyes, preservatives, artificial ingredients. And I really encourage people to stay away from those. Find practitioners like yourself that have vetted a line of supplements they trust and take their recommendations, whether you buy them from a a health food store or from that practitioner. I really encourage people not to buy them randomly offline. I'm sorry, online, because I've seen a lot of online supplements actually be bad. Mm -hmm. They sat in um, overheated warehouses. They're expired. It's just you can't trust what you buy online. So consider your supplements medications and look for the highest quality you can and be sure you get them from a good source. Most people benefit from omega-3s. Most people benefit from vitamin D at the right amount. Um, so many people benefit from a probiotic for periods of time, not chronically. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of us are nutrient deficient at some point, so a multivitamin may be beneficial, particularly if you're on other medications or you have high amounts of stress. So I, you know, I like CoQ10, carnitine, omega-3s, ribose for people with heart conditions. We use a lot of the right kind of red yeast rice extract um, as a natural cholesterol lower. We use niacin in some people. The bad niacin causes flushing, which no one likes. The good mm-hmm. niacin doesn't. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot of real nuances to the supplements. And I just caution everybody, uh, let food be your medicine. Take as little supplements as you need. But when you do take them, take the ones that are high quality and uh, be, be sure that you're taking ones that are safe for you because a lot of the other ones have a lot of ingredients that are not good for you. They add to your toxic load. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a good reminder. Um, you know, like with any, um, you know, product, uh, less is more and, uh, it really interferes with absorption or can create, um, you know, more gut irritation if you're taking all of these fillers. So I, I think that's a really good point. Um, and especially with the oils, right. You know, we really want good quality oils if we're going to be using that as an intervention. Right. Well, Mark, I could pick your brain all day. This has been so fun. I guess my my last question, is there any um, important takeaway that you really want people to get from your book? I mean, I think you've touched on this whole podcast as an important takeaway, but just leaving our audience, is there, you know, just one final note to leave uh, them pondering? Yes. And and that really, the message really is that heart disease is preventable, particularly in women, which we've not done a good job for. No one really should die of a heart attack anymore if we do this right. And women are most at risk and the least served by this. And I'm frankly angry at what we did in medicine to ignore women and their heart. We need to do a better job 
And I encourage every woman to uh, take a look at their health and make their heart health first and foremost. Thank you. Thank you so much. And this rings uh, true to my um, family history. My um, mother's family um, has cardiovascular disease. And, you know, I'm just I'm taking all of this information literally to heart for for myself. And especially now that I have a a daughter, you know, I want to keep myself really healthy and feeling good. So I think this is invaluable information. And um, Mark, where can people find more about you and your book? We're going to be having um, some bonuses and a link in the show notes, um, you know, to your information. But please share, you know, where can people learn more about your clinic and uh, this amazing book that you've created? Well, I encourage everybody to go to the link you're going to provide them because on there is a little seven-minute clinic visit with me. It's as if you were sitting in front of me and and getting a clinic visit. So that's one of the bonuses that you're giving, which is great. Um, Our website is menoclinic.com, M-E-N-O-C-L-I-N-I-C, menoclinic.com. And we have links to information, resources, supplements, and to the book on there as well. Great. And you're in beautiful Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So I'm I'm sure if our audience makes it to your clinic, it's going to be a very... um, restorative uh, place to get healthy. It is the power of place and the power of health. They come together while here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was such a joy to get to know you and to learn from you this morning. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Christine. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today with Dr. Mark Menalesino. And please take a look in the show notes where you can find um, his book and some special bonuses that we've provided at menoclinic.com forward slash Christine. Thank you so much.